Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Lisa Steptoe, a 1987 graduate from the U.S. Military Academy. In this episode, you'll hear all about how Lisa applied to West Point on a dare, the highs and lows of her time at the academy, including winning her weight class in powerlifting, and the relentless energy she's put towards building a successful career in medical sales after she left the military. The openness and honesty that Lisa brings to the conversation about both her successes and her struggles provides great insight no matter where you are in your personal journey. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for asking me. Definitely. Uh, can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? So I'm from, um, was originally born in Springfield, Massachusetts, but most of my life I grew up in uh, Columbia, Maryland, and um, went to the United States Military Academy in 1983, graduating in 1987. 1983. So that's pretty close to one of the first classes. It's pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty close because the first class graduated in 80, right? Correct. Nice. Yeah. And uh, years behind those faithful those uh those wonderful ladies that paid way for us <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm definitely excited to hear about that um but to start can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today so today i've been in the medical field for uh, career-wise for almost 30 years um after i got out of the army i am the wife of my classmate ronald steptoe so we've been together you could say 37 years, four years at the academy, and 33 years married this past June. I have three kids, and I have three wonderful grandbabies. I am a triathlete. Um, Amazing. And that's quite <laughs> so. So were you one of the ones that got married right after graduation? I got married 10 days after graduation, oh. yes. <laughs> okay, so we'll get into that too. <laughs> okay, but let's go back to the beginning. Uh, yes. When you were deciding where you wanted to go to college, uh, what made you choose a service academy, especially at that time, and what made you specifically choose West Point? Well, I hadn't, when I was considering schools, I the academy wasn't even on my radar until a good friend of mine, um, he was a year ahead of me in high school. He got accepted to the prep school, West Point Prep School, and we were best friends. Okay, so he came back one break um, from the, the prep school and told me that a scrub like me, and that was his affectionate name for me, so <laughs> uh, a scrubette, he called me scrubette, um, like me could never get into um, the academy. I mean, he, of course, he's teasing me, but he's not. He's like, you're a scrubhead. You can't, you wouldn't be able to get in and handle it. And, and nobody tells Lisa what she can and cannot do. <laughs> and so I told him not only would I get into the academy, but I'm smarter than him. I don't need to go to the prep school. I will be his classmate. <laughs> and the rest is history. I started applying. I applied to every single academy. I started, you know, the whole application process and, um, you know, I wanted to hedge my bets. So, you know, let's not just apply. I was, my counselor told me, don't just apply to one, apply to all of them, um, which, which I did. I went and visited ev almost every one of them. Even I went out to the Coast Guard Academy for a visit. I did a Naval Academy visit. I did, I did do a Merchant Marine Academy visit, um, but I never visited West Point. You know, later in the year, I was working at the mall, and my dad comes running in, and he comes running up with my packet, my acceptance packet. My father was so excited, but um, I had also been accepted full ride to University of Delaware, Virginia Tech, Ohio State. I had scholarships to all of these, either ROTC or full ride scholarships. Um, to them. And I was like, but sh so should I go to West Point? I mean, it's so different. It's going to be tough. And um, I'm trying to make this decision. And my 
actually my mother's best friend at the time, she said, listen, you'll never get this opportunity again. You can get a scholarship again. You can, why not go to West Point, take this opportunity. If you don't like it, you can come home and get another scholarship. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, but if you don't, this, this opportunity will never come again. And so I accepted my appointment to West Point and the rest, like I said, it's history. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of student were you? Obviously you were a very good student. Oh, I was, I was very good student. Yeah. I was, I was a very good student. I was already very active. Uh, I mean, I played, I was on the power, high school powerlifting team. I played softball. I played volleyball. I was National Honor Society. I was a Girl Scout. Um, so I had all that. You had everything. Yeah. Stuff. I had it already. Yeah. Um, so I was involved in a lot of stuff. I was, I mean, I didn't graduate valedictorian, but I was pretty close. close. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all you needed was the little spark someone calling yeah. you a scrub at. <laughs> yeah. nobody, nobody puts baby in the corner. Yeah. No. yeah. So, um, and I think that's probably been all my, a uh, little part of my attitude um, is that don't tell me what I can't do because then I'll prove you that I can. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's served you very well, actually, in your career and everything. Um <laughs> Maybe not so well, though, at the Academy. We'll see. But <laughs> Yeah, not so well. I had to learn to uh, mm, keep it some self stuff to yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when you mentioned that you were thinking about the military to your family and a military academy, I mean, obviously, they seemed like they were very excited. But has there been military in your family? Did it come as a shock to them? No, it didn't come to a shock to them. Um, my grandfather on my mother's side was a Marine. And my grandfather on my father's side, my father's father, was a um, in the Air Force. So he was a sergeant in the Air Force. Um, so there, there is some history in there. Um, so they weren't, they weren't surprised at all. They were just thrilled. Um, well, at that time... What was the atmosphere around you being a woman and applying? You know, still pretty early on. Was there, or was it pretty well established in the school that you were in that that was okay? To be honest, I was oblivious to that was even an issue. Really? I I really didn't even know that this was really, I was one of the earlier classes to, to come into the, I hate to say this, but I didn't understand it or realize it until I got there and probably not until after after the plebe summer and we really got into the academic year and I was like what is all what why is so many people so you know like the men are upset this I was oblivious and I don't know if it was from it, it it was probably a combination of things of upbringing. I mean, my, I, my parents are interracial. We lived in Columbia, Maryland, which is one of these planned communities where, you know, it encouraged, it's very diverse community. You know, I, I was probably picked on, but not because of my race or my sexuality. So well, I got there and I was like naive, oblivious. Hmm. I, I was a princess. I, you know, I could achieve all things. What do you mean I can't? Or you don't want me to. It, it, it. I didn't become aware of those issues until, you know, after I got there. So, was that right in your face when you got there during that summer, the first summer, oh. or did you start to notice it later on? So during Beast, I was hazed mercilessly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was awful. I mean, I spent many a night crying into my pillow, and. I just kept telling myself one more day, I'll stay one more day and then I'm, I'm out of here. And that became, you know, the whole summer. And well, I'm here now. <laughs> yeah. You know, summer. But literally I was hazed and my thought or reasoning or logic was first I was in survival mode. Okay. Keep a low profile. I was the shortest woman on the longest squad. So I stood out and that's why I felt I was a target. 
Mm. And I was, uh, and they considered me overweight and I was overweight according to their standards. So those are the things that I got hazed about. Those were the thing issues that I thought that was about. It wasn't until really, actually until I was an upperclassman, you know, after the first year that I realized that it, you know, there were people who, who didn't want me to be here. Mm. I was an affirmative action, you know, a quota uh, person um, that I was meeting the, you know, West Point's quota system. I didn't, that was not a conscious understanding until I became an upperclassman because as a plebe and as a, uh, a freshman um, and during Beast Barracks, I was in survival mode. I was getting hazed because of plebe knowledge or, or you know, because I was just, that's what you did to plebes. Just what you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. All right. Well, we'll get into that. But first, let's talk about, uh, well, first, if you had to sum up your time at the academy in one word, what would you say would be? I would say my one word I wrote down was transformative. Mm-hmm. I, you know, hindsight being 20, when I look back at who I was when I entered there, I was spoiled and it's not that I don't have a high opinion of myself. I don't know what word I'm looking for, but I, I, I was a little spoiled and naive and, and just, I could take on the world and the world revolved around Lisa. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's all about me and it's not. <laughs> I started internalizing the, you know, the model duty, honor, country. What does that mean? What does integrity mean? What does it, what does it really mean to me to be a cadet who does not lie, cheat, nor steal, or steal, nor tolerate those who do? It appealed to something within my nature, something within my character, and trans. I think it transformed me into the woman who I am today. Okay, well, so what were some of those high points that you had during your time at the Academy and most memorable um, moments? The high points were, some of my best moments were just, I remember some of my best memories are having such a hard time in, in math. I was a mathematics major and uh, theoretical math. Why I even chose that? Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, several of us getting into our, in, in my room and we, we ch- signed out a, a dry erase board and we would take our own, we call it taking boards when you run on the board, you know, to do problems. And we do them over and over again. And just the, com- the family, the commodity, camaraderie um that i felt those those were some of my best the gospel choir the trips that i went on with a gospel choir and um i got um engaged to ron early in at west point uh we we were just an item for a long time and he was a star basketball player he was captain of the basketball team and um so i became what you call the basketball groupie so i my best times were with them with yeah. the basketball team, I went on all their trips. You know, they we all had sponsors, but I, I went with Ron and his sponsor and the team. And so um, I just had, those were some of the best times were hanging with my, my classmates and getting through the, the leaning on each other to get through some of the most challenging and hardest things. Um, I never thought I'd do, but we survived. Was academics an issue for you at all? Or did you feel like, you know, that was a a high point for you with your abilities to like get through the classes? Because a lot of people, you know, they're stars in high school and then they get to to the academy and they're like, what is going on? I was a rock star in high school, but it was easy. Mm. And I got to uh, West Point and it wasn't until I, so you get to West Point and everybody is a rock star, right? Yeah. And it was easy to me, and I didn't have to do a lot of work to to get the A's. And I got to West Point, and holy cow! Yeah, 
<laughs> oh my God. And I remember failing my first, we called them WPR, written partial reviews. And um, in, a, in one of my math classes, and I failed that sucker. Just wow. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I had never failed anything academically in my life. And that was such a rude awakening. And I had the, uh, I just had to step back and say, okay, I'm going to have, if I want to stay here, you know, and I want to do well, I'm going to have to put in a little bit more study, some more work. I have to put some effort into it. And once I did that and got organized and, you know, okay, I'm going to have to buckle down and, um, created a routine for myself it was then it became relatively easy I was a star man I'm not a star man but honor honor roll um every semester except for one at the academy so yeah once but once I had that epiphany that oh this ain't this ain't no you're not gonna just roll in here and you know maybe crack the book every and then and skate through no 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 ma'am yeah and I know um from working at the Merchant Marine Academy uh, in that in the academic counseling center, I can tell you that that's very common. Kids come in from all over the country. They're all top in their class. And all of a sudden it's like, get real time. Do you really want to be here? Because you're not going to just skate through. So it's right. going to take a little more effort. And it's also going to take a lot of time management. <laughs> time management. If, if, I, if I didn't learn anything else, that is one of the things I took away from there is how to manage my time now did it appeal to my a little bit to my o- <laughs> tendency to be a little OCD now in my later life is like what's the priority and then if it if it doesn't fit into the goals and you don't do it yeah yeah well it sounds like you found your group of people you had close yeah. connections with them it sounds like you really felt connected with them I mean one of them is your husband um, yes. <laughs> and it sounds like you found your niche you said in the gospel choir Mm-hmm. Um, were there any other memorable things you were involved in or memorable moments that you want to share? Oh, the, um, winning my weight class, I joined the powerlifting team, which was a club sport at, at West Point, And I won my, um, weight class, um, in the New York state championship. So I still have the, the newspaper article. It, <laughs> That's awesome. so that was that was an awesome awesome time um i always felt some kind of way about not making the varsity you know we call it core squad um varsity you know teams um because i tried out for volleyball and i got cut and i tried out for softball and i got cut <laughs> mm. and and so you know everybody has to play a sport so then you either play a club sport or you you have to play one of the intramural sports with your company. And um, I was like, I, I, I know I'm athletic. Yeah. <laughs> I could do something. So that was a big, that was a big deal to me. At that time, were there enough women to have a lot of different teams and options for you? Yeah, I mean, I thought so. I mean, we had, we had, we didn't have lacrosse until women's lacrosse, I think until after we left, um, we didn't have women's rugby. I mean, now there's a lot more, yeah. but I thought there was enough options, you know, the standard, you know, volleyball, softball, tennis, track, you know, we had the standard college women activities there. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, if I could go back and do it again, I would have joined the triathlon, they have triathlon team and they have, yeah. So all they have rugby and women's rugby and women's lacrosse and I'm like, oh man. Okay. How many women were in your class? A hundred, about ninety. Yeah. There was not a lot. And were there a lot of uh, minorities, like ra- uh, racial minorities, or there was fourteen women in my black women in my class, fourteen. Wow. Today, this last year, we graduated 38. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So I want to go back because you talked about how your word is transformative. And you talked about how you really started to embody these concepts of honor and duty and integrity and 
really start to apply them to your life. And I'm curious if that played out in any sort of way while you were at West Point, where you were challenged to face those, those values. Early on, when, um, actually during Beast Barracks, I had a, um, I had a classmate accuse me of lying about taking a shower. And I was late to formation and I was getting hazed about it. And they um, called, you know, I got, I got brought up on honor because she said I lied about taking a shower. It was ridiculous, but it was also embarrassing. And it would have been easy to just lie and say, you know, to lie. She accused me of lying, but um, I decided to just, tell what happened and what truth now being late and all that kind of stuff was going to have consequences so Mm. me being honest about it and and saying yes I took a shower and that resulted in me being late to formation and late to this other activity and you know showing up somewhere as a as a new cadet during beast barracks is bad (laughs) and So there was going to be consequences to me saying that's why, Uh, you know, not just that that's why, but that, you know, where I could have just lied and said something else. And so that was the first time I, I, I was conflicted because, you know, I don't want to be hazed anymore. I didn't want it. it, I mean, I'm, I'm tired of crying about it, but later into my, um, you know, as an upperclassman through the rest of the year, I it, it was more of me coming to the to defense of people who were accused of lacking integrity or lying or something yeah. and standing up for instead of just standing by silently so that I'm not involved. Um, it's like I found my voice that it is my duty to do what is right, even though there might be consequences. I found that to be more, I wasn't personally challenged, but more so in coming to the defense or coming or standing up for someone else who was challenged in one of those, one of those areas um, and didn't have a, a, a defense or did, didn't have anybody that would stand by them. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, which is not easy. That's not easy to do. It's not because some, you know, you, you, you cringe. You don't want to, it's like sometimes you just don't want to be involved or you don't, you don't want the backlash or people to look at you like, oh, you're one of them. And yeah, well, I'd rather take the uncomfortable, um, harder, rockier road that is on the path of, I don't want to sound like I'm righteous, but that's the path of righteousness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. You know, you stand for something, you know, and you yeah. don't want to see other people getting um, the short end of the stick with that stuff, you know? So, yeah. yeah. So I can appreciate that. Um, okay. So what were some of the low lights though, that you experienced and the more difficult times at the Academy? One thing that is still, affects me today um i manage it well but is i was put on these these tables called trim tables and they were for people who weren't making weight um or the tape tests and trim stood for the right image of me so Mm -hmm. for three years i had my own well i there was other women and other you know cadets there on the tables with me. So it wasn't just me, you know, sitting by myself, but everybody knew that you were the fat girl. Okay. Cause you're at the special tables, the trim tables, the right image of me. Um, and I'm like, well, what's wrong with the, I always question it. What's wrong with my image? What's wrong with the way I look? What's wrong, you know, the right um, image of me, who came up with that? Yeah, who came up with that? Um, but that's what trim tables, then that's, you know, you sat on the, on the trim tables and um, until you made weight. And then you could go back to your company table. Well, it got down to the, my senior year, second semester, 
And, you know, they're telling me if you don't make the weight and not just the tape, you have to make your weight class, okay, or whatever, for your height, then you're going to be, you're not going to graduate. You're going to graduate late until you do. And, you know, the pressure that was on, I probably started was borderline an eating disorder from that that point where I basically starved myself. I drank coffee and maybe an apple a day and wow. would run seven miles. And I made, I made the weight. I did. But seven days after graduation, I'm sorry, seven days after a week after my wedding, I got on a scale and I had gained seven pounds and I was distraught. I mean, unconsolable and it took years for me to be able to um, weigh myself, to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say that that's okay, yeah. that I'm okay just as I am. I still struggle with that, yeah. still. As I've gained weight, you know, had babies, um, you know, just life and mm -hmm try the struggle so that that was probably the lowest moments of having to endure those tables of being threatened to not graduate but the lasting effect that it had on my psyche and my my view of myself um was just <laughs> i can't even describe it it's like wow and I'm at, I finally at a point in that, um, you know what? I already have the right image of me. I, you know, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really know. appreciate you sharing that though. I really appreciate you sharing that because I mm -hmm. struggled with eating issues myself at the Academy. A lot of times you hear about it in the other direction of like, you're in constant survival mode, you're type A, you put your head down, you become very rigid with your diet. You you try to maintain these Navy standards at the lowest end possible, like all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's the opposite, but it's the same. You know, as long as I'm strong and my health, you know, I'm healthy and, you know. Yeah. It's a vicious yeah. cycle too, because, you know, I'm sure the more you tried to restrict yourself, the harder it became to like, to be at that trim table and to deal with making these decisions with food. And it just, it's just a perpetual cycle. And then to yeah. see the weight come back on, that impacts your psyche even more, um, uh, which, you know, of course it's going to come back on. You went from eating an apple and running seven miles a day to living a normal life. So th there was that cycle where I had to finally get some education. I had to see a nutrition. Somebody help me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that I know what to do. Yeah. And, you know, and not yeah. be so upset because then you become obsessive Absolutely. Um, yes, or, you, do. Or you compensate in another ways. I probably became a little OCD, you know, instead of becoming bulimic, I just, you know, became this perfectionist and, um, you know, and came, became obsessed in other ways. But that's what, um, the, that's what eating issues are across the board. It's yeah. feeling out of control and not having the right tools to cope with that sense of yeah. feeling out of control, whether it's, yeah you know, you're eating too little or eating too much, like they're one in the same, you know? Yeah. So, and, and that frustration and lack of being able to get yourself feeling in control has to be channeled somewhere. So yeah, OCD tendencies or whatever it may be mm -hmm. makes total sense, but uh, I could talk about that for days. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm glad you're in a better place with that. I, I truly am. I know it's a journey, you know? Um, yes. But, uh, but so, okay. Are there any other low points you wanted to touch upon? Um, well, you mentioned, you mentioned that, um, that, you know, the idea of you being, uh, interracial and being a woman started to come up later on at the Academy. Um, mm -hmm. were there any specific ways that impacted you or was it just more of the general feel that like you could tell that you were not wanted there? I could just, it was a general feel that you're different. You're yeah. not one of us. Um, or the, just the... Sometimes it bothers me to use these words because people get all upset, but like the microaggressions, the, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, your hair is different or wanting, uh, wanting to violate your personal space. Um, 
it was more those little issues. So, you know, you're really, you know, I don't know how you got in here. You know, mm. you're not that smart, even though you're on the honor roll here. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. those little microaggressions that, and then not feeling like they wanted you. So I stuck with the groups like the gospel choir, or we had this thing group called the contemporary affairs seminar, which was like, the Black Student Union. Um, you know, I would hang there because my, my to be honest, my white classmates, especially the men, never made you feel like you were one of them. Mm. Even though we're classmates, even though we're all here in it together, sometimes I just felt like an outsider. And that wasn't all of them. I mean, you know, but I had, the, and I had the basketball team, the, those guys, and, and, you know, my husband or fiance at the time. So um, there was part of me that was insulated from the, and if you didn't find your tribe, then you were probably exposed more to it. And so I have to admit that, that between the basketball team and the clubs that I, I was in, I was insulated from that. And even my husband spoke about it when I asked him the same we were having these conversations and I asked him what he thought. And he's like, you know, I didn't realize how bad it was because I was a core squad athlete and mm-hmm. I, you know, I was away a lot of the times or I'm in class and, I, and I'm with the team for most of the things. So I, it was, that was my tribe and I didn't, um, I didn't have the experience that some of his, you know, he didn't have this a similar experience. He felt related um, and protected. And so it's now a little shocking to us at this point in our life with what's going on in the world right now um, that there are classmates and who we thought were our friends who really, that's what they really thought about us. Yeah. And so we're a little heartbroken sometimes, right? You know, right now, but um, back then, we were probably a little isolated from it um, based mm-hmm. on what we, what we got involved in at the Academy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm. Oh, that must be tough to hear. Yeah. Um, well, what, so with everything with you've just discussed and before we move on to your, your life post-graduation, what would be like the key lesson you learned while at the Academy? I, I would say that I learned about tenacity and resilience and strength. And then I had more than I ever thought um, that I had. I, I think I found my voice, um, just this inner strength to stand in the gap, stand in the door, just keep moving forward. Um, um, I have a, a motto and my coaches always ask me, what's your one word? And she said, you never change it. And I, um, I said, because it, it's just who I am and it's, it's what keeps me going. And I think I learned it at the Academy and it's called, uh, um, I tell myself all the time, I am um, relentless. Mm. And what is it to be relentless? To me, it's to be a fiery driving force that lets no obstacle, no challenge, get in the way of achieving a noteworthy goal. Mm-hmm. So I say that to myself all the time. That's my mantra. That's who I am. And that's what I think I took away from my experience at, at West Point. Yeah, I love that. It's a great way to approach life, you know? So yeah. I love that. Um, all right. So, so let's dive a little bit into your your career trajectory so you approach graduation what was the plan so okay i'm getting married ooh oh my gosh so how are we going to be together so they had this thing called dual location so because i was the brainiac of the of the pair um i had to give up my selection my post selection slot um and whatever ron got is where i would go Mm. So um, we have these branch, and we also have branch nights, and go around and you meet people in different branches, and so you have to make your branch selection and your post selection. Um, and I chose quartermaster. Um, it just appealed to 
um, my nature. Um, the organization of a logistics officer um, appealed to, uh, it just appealed to me. Mm -hmm. So that's what I chose um, to be a logistician. We call it quartermaster, supply or die. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah. my husband chose field artillery. And so then when it's branch night, I went to his branch selection night. And what he, what he was able to select was Fort Knox, Kentucky. And um, I would have been able to select, based on my class rank, Hawaii <laughs> or Germany. But I had to give that up. Oh. <laughs> love, love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I guess it was worth it. You're still with them today, <laughs> huh? Still together. I feel like he's a he's good still... guy. <laughs> yeah. Is he still in the military? No. no. He, okay. He, he, we got out at the same time. So we went to Fort Knox, Kentucky. He was a uh, field artillery officer. Um, and I forgot his unit designation. But I was with a uh, quartermaster at Fort Knox with the 75th Support Battalion. And there I was a... Um, we call it a class two, four, and seven platoon leader, which is basically your bullets and beans, bullets, you know, material. Okay. Mm. I was a material platoon leader. Then I went over and I was a petroleum platoon leader. So that was all fuel for the tanks and all that kind of stuff. Um, I became the company XO. And then um, they decided to downs or turn Fort Knox into a trade outpost, which is a train, a, a, um, kind of like a personnel post, um, and versus a and move armor and field artillery to the 82nd Airborne. Um, so we were downsizing, and my company commander went to some school. So I was acting commander for the last six months of my tour at Fort Knox. My husband and I decided we wanted to go back to um, West Point. And so, you know, during our time at Fort Knox, behind the scenes, he worked on um, making sure that we both could go back to West Point to be admissions officers um, in their diversity. Uh, they had a thing called Project Outreach. So they have five diversity officers who we went out and tried to get more diverse candidates. Um, and so we did. We went back to West Point for a year. Um, did and you enjoy I that? I loved it. I yeah. loved being there. Um, and that's how I, just, I decided what I was going to do once I, if I was going to leave the service. Um, so I had Europe and the, I call them the flyover states. So the Midwest, Iowa, Nebraska, I had all those, those states um, and Europe for um, recruiting. So I, I was on the plane a lot. Mm. And, um, that was also when that during that time it was about 1990 when I think it was they were well whatever they were doing they were looking at downsizing the military and people were getting rifted um, and they were talking about it's taking going to take a long time you know it might take you ten years to make captain and I'm like I don't know, or major and I'm like uh uh I I will be so behind my peers. In the civilian, if I stay in the civilian world, if I do that, so my husband and I decided we were going to we were going to get out at our five year mark, and um, made that decision, and it was helped along. That decision was helped along when I got pregnant. Mm. <laughs> so while we were there, I got um, I got pregnant, and um, it was like okay. We're either going to stay in or we're going to get out. And at first, Ron said, I'll stay in. And I said, well, then I'll get out. And because our assignment officer was telling us we were going to either go to the 24th or the 25th ID, which was Hawaii or Germany. And what I was going to do as a quartermaster officer who spends six months, you know, in the field with a baby. So I was going to have to bring a family member or something, you know, uh -huh. somebody and so it became a logistics nightmare. And yeah. Um, yeah. so I said, well, Ron, you stay in and I'll, I'll get out. So I put my papers in and um, then Ron just decided, you know what? We're both going. When they started talking about the rifting and, and stuff, he said, let's, let's go. And so we both decided to leave. So how do you feel about that decision now being put in a position where 
and and I think every woman gets to this place where it's like, you know, this balance of career versus raising a family and, and how do you make that decision, you know? So this is just my perspective, but when I hitched my wagon to Team Steptoe, which that's Ron's last name, Steptoe, um, it was, we're a team. So we, and Ron's just, the, he's just one of those great, you know, I don't know, progressive men who are like, let's, who's ever doing the best? Who's at the moment, who's ever doing, it, it was, it was a team decision. Mm. I didn't feel bad about, or um, I didn't think I was going to be less than if I chose to do that. I would have done whatever it took to be team Steptoe. And if that meant, I, and I probably wouldn't have sat on, if I became a, you know, a, a, a military spouse, I probably would have found my niche somewhere leading something. Yeah. <laughs> what we did feel is a little bit of regret when the first Iraq thing happened and everybody wanted to go back. And, you know, we were like, oh man. And all of a sudden, everything changed and yeah. yeah we felt a little wind but then again no we were making a lot of money <laughs> yeah so let's let's talk about that so you were a logistics officer which by the way i totally can appreciate logistics that was my degree and like logistics <laughs> makes the world go around so makes the world go around that's yeah. right <laughs> even if it is grommets or little bullets or yeah. whatever <laughs> um i think people today are starting to appreciate that a little bit more um, but so, but you went from logistics and then you did a total career change. So I let's talk about that. Sales into medical sales. And how that came about is I was on an airplane. I think I'm coming back from Europe and I, um, got lucky to get upgraded into first class and I'm sitting next to, um, somebody who, um, he was, uh, I, I don't even remember. So I think he was in pharmaceutical sales, but he was like vice president of something. And we just got to talking and then he was like, so sell me on my, on my son coming to West Point. How, what would you tell me? You know, convince me, he, he didn't say sell me, but he said, convince me that my son should go to an academy. And so I did my spiel. And he said, you know, when you're done at the end of it all, he was like, okay, I'm, we're going we're gonna to look into this. And you convinced me. And he said, have you ever, when you get out, what have you thought about doing? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, what, you know, I hadn't thought about it, but well, skills are transferable. And he said, you should look into sales because you are good. Hmm. You told a story, you made, you know, you made me, you made, made a visual. He told me all these things and he said, look into sales. So when I got out, I started applying for sales jobs. And in 1991, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals was only, it, you know, $42 million company. I mean, it was, you know, fortunate. They were doing well. By the time I left, they were a $7 billion company. Wow. Wow. So at that time, they were, they were about to launch all these new um, products that are now probably some of them are generic Zithromax, Zoloft, um, stuff you, you, everybody recognizes. Um, they had that, those all Pfizer drugs, blockbusters. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they were starting a new division. And so they hired almost, we called it Fort Pfizer. They hired a lot. I mean, all, I mean, almost everybody, every sales rep was prior service. Wow. Smart on them. <laughs> so both Ron and I got hired by Pfizer. Wow. Our first sales jobs. And when they gave us the author, our, our first offer letter, we looked at each other. We were like, I don't, what, what? <laughs> we, how much? I yeah. mean, it was just mind boggling. I mean, you know, the salary, the car, the expense account, the corporate, you know, um, corporate card that they gave you as a sales rep, but um, wow. And the trips and turns out I was pretty, both Ron and I are pretty good at it because, hmm. you know, I won a, super, a trip to Super Bowl 30 
for, you know, sell a whole lot of Norbask. <laughs> you know, the trips that we went on and stuff that I won over the course and the sales awards that I won, I guess I was good at it. And I loved interacting with people and um, especially in the medical field and helping to bring new, you know, medical things to to market and help educating the physicians on these. I just loved it. Loved it. Yeah. And that's why I've been in the field for so long. Well, being relentless, I'm sure has helped you in sales. Yes. That whole, yeah, that mentality. <laughs> and, and you were at Pfizer for like 15 plus years, right? And then you just, and then since well, then you've been in. I've been in a lot of roles. And so this is where the, the resilience and being relentless has paid off because after 17, 16 years at Pfizer, I got, they called it optimizing then. I got, I got laid off. Um, mm. um, I got a wonderful, nice severance package. And then I was fortunate enough within 16 days of being let go um, to get another job at um, Sharing Cloud. Hmm. So I became a key account manager at Sharing Cloud. And then within a year and a half, Sharing Cloud got sued for something and they and so they wanted to stay cash heavy to handle the lawsuit. So they eliminated my entire division. Oh my goodness. Back on the street again. So um, you know, if you looked at my LinkedIn profile, I've had so, several iterations of places I've been downsized, right size, optimized, just let go. It was five times in seven years, something like that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And there was a time where I went and each time my salary got, you know, I had, you know, I got to feed kids. I had a kid in college. I was like, I'll take what I can get and mm. work my, work my way back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the salaries would get lower and um, it was just ooh, roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. But my husband started a company and, you know, I'm getting laid off. I'm like, oh my God. But I mm. had to stand in the door. As somebody had to stand in the door so that not only we keep his company going until it gets, you know, gets going and off the ground, but, and feed the family. So I, sometimes I took jobs that weren't a good fit or um, they were in my field, but they ne weren't necessarily a good, what, what, uh, a good corporate or um, what a culture fit for, for me, but I didn't have the luxury of not working. Mm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I ate a little bit of crow sometimes or humble pie or, um, you know, took less than I was worth in order to keep the family going. And I just did what I had yeah. to do. You know, I got to tell you, though, as someone that counsels and coaches people, um, that I can really appreciate how difficult that is to do. And it definitely speaks to that word, relentless, that you're going to get it done. And it doesn't, you know, you're going to do what you have to do to keep what's important in focus and to keep things going, because that's, it's really not easy to have to eat that humble pie. It really isn't, you know? Yeah especially coming from an academy and this background. And, you know, I feel like people, when they come from an academy, you, you know, you, you graduate with this idea that you're like, you know, that you're special, you're the cream of the crop, like you're yeah. set for life. And, yeah. um, and you nobody know. else but you was impressed. By, <laughs> by, you know, yeah, um, yeah. The further you get away from the, the academy, the less ring knocking works. I mean, the network is still there. I could call up my, you know, other grads and, you know, for a, a leg in the door or to get a door open. But the further the years go by, you know, it, 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 it doesn't necessarily help you because they don't, a lot of hiring people don't even know what it is. Mm. What, what's the Merchant Marine Academy? What's West Point? Well, or they in an awe, in an awe sense, like yeah, that's that Army Navy game kind of thing. But also, wow. your your education goes further down on the resume as being important, right? Like it's right. more about your experience. It's more as well. your experience. 
seconds. They're not interested in where you went to school, um, but what, you know, I'm 30 years out. So me to find a job at, you know, 55 years old is like, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) Well, so, so where are you today? What are you up to now? So today, my husband's company is doing really well. Um, it, it's growing, and but I left Granger because I wanted to go back to doctor to doctor, more patient sales. Versus at Granger, yes, I was in medical sales because my accounts were hospitals, but I was selling widgets, and I was in the basement. And um, Granger is just a glorified um, Home Depot on yeah. steroids. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, I loved it, but I'm, I was in the facilities, you know, downstairs in the basement. I didn't really get to do patients. I didn't feel like I was making a difference like I used to with patients uh, and with physicians. So I took the first job coming, which was bad mistake. If I can give anybody some advice when making a major career change, okay, or taking another job, is to make sure that it's a cultural fit, make sure that it is um, what you really want because the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side, okay? Mm. And I took this job at, um, at Gerber um, as, a, as a, they called us medical you know, sales reps, but I, basically I was um, selling baby formula, okay? It's not rocket science. But, you know, you give me a job and you tell me that I need to get this market share. I try to treat them all like a business. And, you know, I asked a lot of questions and I didn't pick up on the cues that asking business questions was not welcome. Hmm. Uh, Probably my tone, um, it was not a culture fit. So the the organization, uh, Gerber, and on the uh, infant formula and, and baby food side is, I would say, 99% women. Mm. And that's not a ding. I, I love women, but I didn't understand that it wasn't an industry that was interested in market share. I didn't understand that I was just really, honestly, supposed to be an ambassador for the formula and get it in there that I didn't need to worry about market share and this and all those things. But I asked all those questions and um, I didn't see the warning signs that, um, you know, they were coming, kind of coming for me that I was being a problem child. I was tone policed. Um, do you know what that, you know, what no, that means? no. being tone police is being told that my questions were uh, aggressive. Um, I'm being argumentative. I was always told that Lisa, you're being argumentative. And I said, I don't understand. And I would, and then by asking, how is my question argumentative? That's being argumentative. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long story short. I got fired. Hmm. First job in my life. I got terminated for, Hmm. I was not a, I was not the appropriate fit. And so I ended up being unemployed at a, at a time when, you know, we were just getting venture capital in my husband's company, we needed my income. And I don't know how he did it, but he made it work. Yeah. And it took me eight months to get to find a new job. And I did my due diligence. And I now work for Value Drug Company. I am a regional account manager. And what we do is we are a wholesale pharmaceutical pharmacy provider for independent pharmacies mm-hmm. and my job for is to help our independent pharmacies stay in business um be successful you know provide them the course make sure they you know can get their supplies but my job is to make sure that they can stay open because it's really hard out there for you know if you're not a chain pharmacy you're you know a mom and pop independent pharmacy um, it's, it's very tough reimbursement all the guy, but that's what my job is. And I absolutely love it. Appeals to the entrepreneurs, you know, ship, um, in me or entrepreneur in me to help another business stay in business and be successful. And, um, so that's what I'm doing right now. Um, and what's next for you? 
So what's next is um, I continue to help my husband build out the, the, the company. And um, right now I act as his chief financial officer <laughs> in my spare time. But my big goal right now is achieving and finishing Ironman Maryland. Um, that'll be my first um, Ironman. And it's a, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's the pinnacle of it. I will be putting my running shoes down after that and solely focusing on aqua bike, which is swim and run, a swim and bike. Um, because my knees can't take it much more, but I have <laughs> focus is, is getting, is finishing Ironman Maryland and getting one full Ironman under my belt. So a lot yeah. of that. <laughs> so that's my goal. That's great. Um, so now thinking back to, uh, to your decision to attend an academy, how do you feel about it? I wouldn't have changed the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I'd be the person I am today if it hadn't yeah. been for um, West Point. Yeah, that that word transformative makes yeah sense. yeah yeah. Well, at least I could talk to you all day. Uh, I find your journey very fascinating with all the different ups and downs. I love. I appreciate your honesty. You know. Um, with all the ups and downs that you've faced through life, but yeah, you're definitely relentless and I'm happy that you're in a position now that you feel good about, you know, yeah. um, with things to look forward to. Yeah. I look forward to listening to more of the, the stories. It's, it's great. I, there's so much to learn from everybody's experience, you know, and I think it's, it's good to share, you know, yeah. in this format. So um, on that note, uh, do you have any parting words for listeners? Like, maybe a, a key message for your fellow service academy sisters? I would say just keep falling forward. Mm. Just keep falling forward. It, it's, um, you know, even when you think in your darkest moments, just get back up, dust yourself off, grip one of our hands, reach out, you know, we'll listen. I'll talk. You can call me, call me anytime. Um, <laughs> but um it's hard, but it can be done. And you are awesome right where you are. Yeah. I you love are. that. Yeah. Oh, don't you wish someone was whispering that in your ear when you were at the Academy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly do. <laughs> um, before yeah. we go, I, we know that you're a, a triathlete and a, a soon to be iron woman. Um, yeah. But are there any other fun facts you want to share? One perhaps that, stands out uh i belong i'm a member of alpha kappa alpha sorority incorporated mm. i am treasurer of the iota lambda omega chapter um so i have another group of sisters as well but nice. my first uh sorority my first fraternity i call it my first frat will always be west point yep I love it. That's a great note to end on but uh before we go just let people know uh where they can reach you you can reach me on linkedin i am on instagram and my handle is travel the travel diva 87 i am on facebook and um that's where i think i'm on all those social medias yes awesome and i will put all of those links in the show notes so that people can find you um well, Lisa, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you, your openness and your honesty and for you sharing your story. Thank you so much. I, this was really a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.